0: be good to be in church on Sunday night. Oh, <laughs> let's start over. It's good to be in church on Sunday morning. Amen. And it'll be good to be in church on Sunday night. Amen. And Monday night. Amen. And Tuesday night. Amen. Don't let me lose you now. And Wednesday night. Ah, oh, there you go. Take your Bible if you wouldn't turn to the book of Mark. Mark chapter 5. Mark chapter 5. God is good. Amen. Amen. It doesn't matter where you are or what circumstances are going on when you say it. It is always true. Always true. Even if you don't understand how it could be, it's still true. Amen? If you found Mark chapter 5 and you're able to stand easily, would you stand with me as we read the word of God? Mark chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. And they came over unto the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gadarenes. And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains. And the chains had been plucked asunder by him, and the fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. But when he saw Jesus afar off, he ran and worshipped him and cried with a loud voice and said, What have I to do with thee, Jesus, thou son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. For he said unto him, Come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, What is thy name? And he answered, saying, My name is a legion, for we are many. And he besought him much that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was nigh there unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding and all the devils besought him, saying, Send us into the swine that we may enter into them. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave, and the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked in the sea. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. And they went out to see what it was that was done. And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil and had the legion sitting and clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And they that saw it told them how it befell to him that was possessed with the devil and also concerning the swine. And they began to pray him to depart out of their coasts. I want to preach to you on this subject this morning. Dear Jesus, please go away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for a beautiful day that you've given to us and for an opportunity to be in your house. Thank you for the good Sunday school time and the good time already this morning and this service and Lord, we just ask that now you would help us to focus on your Word and what your Holy Spirit has to say to us today. We ask that you'd meet each and every need. And Lord, if there's somebody here today lost without Christ, God, I pray they wouldn't leave that way, but that today they'd understand their need and get saved before it's too late. We'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In Mark chapter 4, the disciples and the Savior are are there on the shore of the Sea of Galilee and he's preaching and teaching and there's a huge crowd of people and, and it's, a, it's a full day and it's a busy day and, and everybody's tired and exhausted and as the day comes to a close, Jesus says to the disciples, go get the boat and we're going to go over to the other side. And so they get the boat ready and Jesus finds a comfortable place in the boat and falls asleep and they head out across the water. Now somewhere in the, in the course of going from one side of the Sea of Galilee to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, a storm comes up. And it's not just, it's not just a little bit of rough water. It's not just some wind that, that's not pushing them the right way. This is a serious storm. Now remember, several of these men in the boat, uh, they're fishermen who quite literally have spent their whole adult life on the Sea of Galilee. They know what it's like when a storm comes up. They know when a storm is small. They know when a storm is big. And these men have determined that this storm is so severe they're all going to die. And they've, they've been in storms before, but they know this is the kind you don't come out of. And the boat is taking on water. And so they go and they wake Jesus up. And Jesus does what Jesus does in a storm. You put Jesus in the middle of the storm and pretty much the same thing always happens. He says, peace, be still, and boom, the storm stops, and then he rebukes them for their lack of faith, and then they make their way to the other side. Now, that's what happens during the night as they're crossing the Sea of Galilee. Can you imagine being in that boat thinking you're going to die. I mean, that's exciting. The adrenaline adrenaline is pumping. There's just that rush of energy and excitement and, and all of that fear and all the rest. And now it's all stopped. You're pulling up to the other side. I would guess that these disciples think the most excitement they're going to have is over now. From here on out, the rest of the day is going to be easy. They know what happens. They pull up to the other side. People will come. Jesus will preach to them, teach them, heal some people, do some stuff. And it'll be a lovely day. And they might even be able to get back in the boat and rest for a while while this is going on. Because they've been up all night thinking they're going to die. And so they pull up to the other side. And all is well. And they're ready for a beautiful day on this side of the Sea of Galilee. But while all of that is going on. Somewhere along the line, I don't know if it's as dawn is breaking. I don't know uh, how much he saw or what he saw. But there's a man on this other side of the Sea of Galilee, over here in the country of the Gadarenes, and other passages called the Gergesenes. It's the area of Decapolis on the other side of the Sea of Galilee. He, there's a man over here whose life is a total disaster. He's possessed by devils, a bunch of them. He's he is so messed up that he's alienated from his family, his friends, his community. He, is, he strips his clothes off and he runs naked through town and they've tried to capture him and bind him and he just, he just breaks the chains and they put shackles on him and he breaks the shackles and, and he cuts himself and he screams and cries. He lives up on the hillside in the tombs and he yells all night long. He screams and howls and, and cuts himself and and any time he comes through town people they hide in terror and they and they bring the children in and they shut the doors and they and they get away. He's dangerous and and he's vile and he's wicked and and he's lived up there forever and his hair's sticking out like this and he's just a, a matted mess and there's blood all over him and he's running naked through town and and he's up on that hillside. And somewhere along the line, I I don't know if he saw that there was a bad storm and then saw that it just suddenly stopped. I don't know if he saw the boat land and and he just looked down there and saw Jesus standing in the boat getting ready to get out. I have no idea. But as he's up on that hillside on this beautiful morning, he has the first clear-minded thought that he has had in a long, long time. And that thought is, I think that man can help me. I'm going to go see if he can help me. And he begins running down the hillside. He's running down. He's naked. His hair's sticking out like this. It's all matted and ugly. There's blood all over him. There's scars and cuts. He's probably still got half of a, a shackle hanging on one arm and maybe a chain around one leg. And he's running down the hillside directly toward Jesus and the disciples who just thought that the worst was over. And they probably, I'm assuming now, they would have assumed a defensive posture. Would you not? I mean, here comes some. You get ready. You, know, you, you don't know what's going to happen, but what's coming is not good. And it's coming right at you. And he may be screaming as he's running down the hill. And at least Peter, you know, is probably saying, get back there, Jesus. I'm going to defend you. And he's ready now when this guy comes. They're probably lined up and they are saying, just stay back there. We're going to stop him before he can hurt you and before he can get too close. And then Jesus does the weirdest thing. And, and he had to do this more than once to the disciples. He said, uh, Just move apart. Let him come. And they're thinking, No, we can't do that. He's, he's running straight out. He's, this is a crazy man, and, and this is dangerous. And Jesus says, Just let him come. Remember what happened when the little children were all over the place? And they were going to shoo them all away so they wouldn't bother the Savior. Remember what Jesus said? He said, Let him alone. Let him come. Let him come. More people ought to be like this. Amen. Let him come. And that's what he said about this man. Just let him come. And and they're probably still, they're still tense. They're ready because they don't know what's going to happen. So they part a little bit. And this man just, I mean, he hits the ground. He slides right up to Jesus. And there he is worshiping at the feet of Jesus. And Jesus says, come out. And the devil said, we don't want to come out. As a matter of fact, they said, we know, we know who you are, and we know you're going to cast us out of this man. But could we please stay in this country? Isn't that weird? I and mean, Jesus and these devils are talking to each other, and they make a request. Can we stay in this country? That's, is that not just weird? I mean, that's weird. Why would they want to stay in that country? Do you suppose there are some places where the devil's more comfortable than other places? some places where he has a little more free reign to do whatever he wants to do and more people that he can influence and impact and destroy. And that's what's going on in this town. And they said, we like it here. Can we stay here? And Jesus says, yes. You can stay. It's weird. It's strange. He says, what's your name? And they said, Legion, for we are many. I mean, this man doesn't just have a little problem. He's got a huge problem. He is infested with these devils and his whole life is destroyed. And now here he is and Jesus is about to cast the devils out and they've already gotten permission to stay in the country and then they ask another, they make another request. They say, can we we go into the pigs? There's pigs over there. Can you send us into the pigs? And Jesus, the Bible says, gave them leave. In other words, he said, yeah, sure. You want to go into the pigs? You got to come out here, go into the pigs. And they go into the pigs, which is strange enough. And then the pigs, now remember there's 2,000 pigs, 2,000 pigs. This man is full of devils. These devils come out, go into the 2,000 pigs. I don't think it would be too much of a stretch to guess that there's a couple thousand devils in this man. Because they go into 2,000 pigs and those pigs immediately run down the hillside, jump off the cliff into the Sea of Galilee and drown themselves. And again, you think that's weird. I mean, if the devils just came out of the man, they asked to go into the pigs, Jesus let them go into the pigs, and immediately they run down the hill and kill the pigs. Why in the world would they do such a thing? Well, just stop and think with me for a minute now. All the devil can do is destroy. That's all he does. He doesn't make anything. He doesn't improve anything. He just takes something and destroys it. And that's what he does with everybody and everything that he gets his hands on. And so these devils, although they've infected and infested this man for years and years and they've destroyed his life, they have not yet been able to kill him. And so now when they go out and they go into the pigs, listen, they're not going to waste another 20 years destroying the life of the pigs. How do you destroy a pig's life? Do you make him become a drunk pig? Do you, do you make him leave his family and abandon his piglets? I, 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 you can't ruin a pig's life. So the only thing left to do with a pig is just go ahead and kill it. That's what the devil does. And so as soon as they get in, they destroy the pig. Listen, the devil will tell you he's got some wonderful stuff in store for you and it's all going to be fun. It's all going to be nice. All he does is destroy. That's all he does. He kills and destroys. And that's what he does here. And so the devils go into the pigs. They run off the cliff. They drown themselves in the sea. And then the pig keepers run back into town and say, hey, the pigs are gone. All of our pigs are dead, and the crazy guy is down there. He's got clothes on, and he's talking to Jesus, and Jesus is talking to him. You've got to come see what's going on. And the whole town, the people are coming, and they run, and they flock over there. And, and now, would you not think, now, now just think, does it not make sense that at this moment, these people would stop and say first and foremost to Jesus, thank you for fixing this man. I and mean, he has been the terror of the town forever. He's caused untold problems and issues. They, they would have at least, first of all, said thank you for fixing that problem. Would they not? I mean, that just, that's common sense. Thank you for that. They didn't say that. You would think after they said thank you, they would say, could you please stay for a little while? Because we got another guy over here with some issues and we've heard you heal people. We got a sick guy over here and we got a problem over there. Could you hang around for a little while and fix some of our problems and teach us some things like you've been doing on the other side of the Sea of Galilee? It makes sense to me they would have done that, but they didn't do that either. Instead, they come running and all they say to him is, please leave. We don't want you here. Now, he's just fixed their biggest problem. No thank you. No stick around a while. Just leave. We don't want you here. Just leave. Why in the world would they tell Jesus to go away? I mean, they've got, they've got the Son of God right there in front of them. If you've got a problem, and you've got the Son of God right there in front of you. That's the perfect time to get your problem fixed. And instead of saying, hey, we got some problems, they say, just go away now. We don't want you here. Go away. I submit to you this morning, the reason they told Jesus to go away is the same reason people still do it today. And they do. They still tell him to go away. Not interested, don't want to hear it, don't want to think about it, just go away. I want you to see, first and foremost, they told him to go away because he reminded them of their sin. You see, when Jesus showed up and cast the devils out of that man, everybody knew it wasn't environmental, it wasn't social, it wasn't educational, it wasn't financial, it wasn't political. It was a sin issue that had to be dealt with. And people don't want to see their problems as sin. They have a million other reasons. And so we rename things and call them by different titles so that they're not sin anymore. The problem is, if they're not sin, Jesus doesn't fix it. Did you get that? If your problem is sin, he'll fix your problem. If your problem is something else, I don't know where you're going to go. I don't know. He reminded them of their sin. You see, they had kind of gotten used to the crazy guy who lived up in the tombs. Oh, well, listen, the first time he ran through town naked, it was scary. The first time he ran through and there were blood all over him and, and cuts everywhere. It was terrifying and the children were afraid and the, and the women were afraid and, and the men were scared and, and it was awful. And, and the first time they tried to chain him up, they thought they'd fix the problem till he burst the chains. Now they're really scared. So they put shackles on him and they got him all locked up tight and then he broke those and and they can't stop him and and it's just it's horrible and, and they never know what he's gonna do and when he's gonna come running through town. And then the listen, the first night the first night they heard the screaming up on the hillside. I promise you they were terrified. They didn't know if if he was killing somebody or somebody's killing him or what's going on. And they hear screaming all night long. And it just goes on and on and on and on. And the kids are afraid and they don't want to go to bed. And they're trying to get everybody calm. And and they're up half the night hearing the screaming. and, And the first week was rough. Second week, not quite as bad. But you know what happens when you live next to train tracks? After a while, you don't hear the trains anymore. And the whole house can shake and you don't hear the train because you just get used to it. And these people had gotten so used to this crazy guy living up on the hill, screaming all night long and running through town that they really didn't even think of it as a big issue anymore. I promise you there were people there who said, well, that's just the way he is. He was born that way. He was just born that way. Or, or you know, he had, a, he had a rough home life. It was, Brother Walker It was a rough home life. His mother was mean to him and his father was stern and, and they drove him to this. And, and that's the way, that's the reason he is the way he is. And, and somebody else probably said, well, those are just the choices he's made in life. And if you choose to live naked on the hillside and cut yourself and scream, well, why is my choice any better than your choice? You just go live the way you feel like. I promise you there was some idiot that said that. I'm smiling at you. You can't get mad at me. I smile at you. Uh-huh. Well, it was, it was his environment, and it was that time in school when somebody bullied him. That's what did it, and that's why he's up there. Somebody made fun of him when he wore a dress to school one day, and that's why he's up there right now. Oh, there were, there were a million excuses. But when Jesus showed up, he let him know what the problem was, and it wasn't any of that stuff. It was spiritual. You see, you don't end up with thousands of devils in you, naked in the tombs, cutting yourself overnight. And you don't leave work at the factory one day, and the next day you're naked in the tombs, cutting yourself and screaming all night. It doesn't work that way. No, no, it's a progression. You know how you end up naked in the tomb screaming uh, all night long? It starts way back here with your rejection of God a little bit at a time. You just move further and further away from God and further toward yourself and further toward the devil. And you allow him to have more and more control of your life. And then one day you don't have any control at all. And he has it all. And you're naked in the tomb screaming at night and everybody's afraid of you. It doesn't happen the next day. This is the culmination of a life lived in rebellion against God. That's where it's ending. And that's where he is. And that's how he got there. And when Jesus shows up and casts out the devils, it reminds everybody that his problem is nothing more than sin. It was sin that needed to be dealt with. And it was a spiritual issue. We like to rename stuff so that it's not sin. When I was, when I was growing up, and I'm old as dirt, <coughs> I confess... I'll be I'll be 60 in August, Brother Walker. 60 in August. Thank you for that sympathy. I know it wasn't sincere, Brother Burton. I know it wasn't sincere. 60. I'll be, I'm one foot on a banana peel, the other in the grave. I could be gone just like that. But I'm old enough to remember when we had drunks. We don't I have drunks anymore. We used to have drunks. I remember we'd walk we'd walk out to get the school bus in the morning. Uh, you know 10 miles uphill both ways in the snow we'd walk out to the road to catch the catch the school bus and we had to go past this one house and we knew the drunk lives there that's the drunk guy he's mean to his wife he's mean to anybody that comes in the yard you don't you don't go over that house listen we as little kids and you're gonna think this is all evil and wicked as a little kid we were just ignorant had a lot of fun we went trick-or-treating we didn't go to that house we're trying to sell candy for some we didn't go to that house why? Because that's, that's the drunk over there and he's mean and he's nasty and you don't want to get over there. We don't have those anymore. Now we have people with substance abuse issues. Like a substance, jumped out grabbed them and, and started to abuse them. There it was. Why, why, do we, why do we do that? Well, Well, that softens it a little bit. Makes it look a little less like it's my own fault makes it a little less sinful. We used to have people who weren't married living together back in the olden days. You know what the lost people called it? Living in sin. You know why? Because it's sin. Now we just have cohabitation and, you know, you just, you just do whatever you want and you shack up with this one for a while and that one for a while and, and go ahead and have some babies along the way and then you can get some money from this guy and that guy and then some from the government and then he can go make some more babies over here. And, and what a wonderful life. God calls it sin. Hey, it's sin. Yep. And we can rename it however we want and we can make it socially acceptable if we want, but it's still sin. Right. Listen, we're, we're telling little boys that they can decide any day they want to be a little girl. Listen, now listen closely to what I'm about to say. If you're a man and you're trying to be a woman, or you're a woman and you're trying to be a man, you're living in rebellion against God. You're rebelling against what God made you. I don't care what you think made it happen or what problem it was that caused it. You are living in rebellion against God and you are in sin. And to pat you on the back and tell you it's all wonderful is to condone sin. Right. Right. Amen. Amen. What you need to do is get your heart right with God and confess the sin right. and then start living the way God made you to be. This is, some women are, are more masculine than other women. That's okay. Some men are not as masculine as other men. It's all right. You just be the, what God made you at the beginning. It doesn't mean you're the other kind and you should have been born the other kind. That's not what it means. Not at all. Are you getting that? I know what I just said is hate speech. I understand that. I know. I know that's what the world says because they don't want to admit that it's sin. Because if you don't admit that it's sin, you don't have to fix it. That's the problem. You see, when Jesus showed up and cast these devils out, nobody could say it was something else. It wasn't a life choice. It wasn't an environmental issue. It wasn't some kind of social oppression. No, it was sin and it had to be dealt with as sin. The good news is when you come clean before God and say, God, I am a sinner and I have a sin problem. Jesus has the answer for your sin problem. You come to God and say, I just made some bad choices in life. There's no answer for your problem. But once you admit it's sin, there's a solution. And it's the blood of Jesus Christ. They didn't want to admit that their sin was sin. You say, well, I'm sure glad we don't have drunks and druggies and perverts in our church. Well, thank God, I'm glad. That's a blessing. But we're just as bad about not admitting that our sin is sin. we allow bitterness and covetousness and anger hatred we allow those things because they're not as obvious as drunkenness and cross dressing and all the rest and you can hide those easier and you can sit in church and have those and nobody know it for a long time but I promise you more churches have been destroyed by bitterness than they have by some transsexual who walked in the door uh huh you know why we don't deal with those things? Because we don't want to admit that our sin is sin. Well, it's easy for us to look at theirs and say, that's sin. It's obvious. But we look at ours and we excuse it away. I'm not really bitter. I'm just, uh, you know, I'm just, I just wanted to tell you about that. I'm not really covetous. You know, I just, I'm just not really sure why he gets that and I don't. God says sin is sin. And if you don't come clean with your sin, just like this guy, you won't get it fixed. You won't get it fixed. And the people who split churches and make messes are not some vile sinner who walks in the door. They're people who've been there for 30 years who had sin in their own heart that they never dealt with. And finally it came up and and infected others and the church splits. It's not drunkenness and it's not drugs and it's not. No, it's bitterness and it's anger and it's covetousness and it's hatred and it's envy and it's. Pride And those are the things that destroy the work of God over and over and over and over again. You know how you fix them? You admit that they're sin. Amen. And then you come to God and get that thing taken care of. They, they told him to leave because <coughs> he reminded them of their sin. He told them to leave secondly because he threatened their lifestyle. Look at verse 14. And they that fed the swine fled and told it in the city and in the country. The pigs run off the hillside, jump into the water, and the pig keepers run into town and say, Hey, hey the pigs are dead. You've got to come out here and see what's going on. Now remember, this is, this is 2,000 pigs. I talked to a guy just last week, and, and, uh, and I had said something about this. Uh, 2,000 pigs is a lot of pigs. Even if you're a commercial pork farmer, 2,000 pigs is a lot of pigs. He said his, his uncle is a, a pig farmer and sells to these big pork producers, and his herd is 1,500. Now, we're talking Bible days. No, no one person has a herd of 2,000 pigs. This is the whole town. This is everybody's livelihood. This is everybody's income. This is the industry of the town, and it just ran down the hill and into the sea. And so now they're coming to see what happened. Their entire lifestyle has just been turned upside down. It really has. I mean, all of their income is gone. Their livelihood is gone. And they're running out to see what's going on. Now, here on, the, uh, on this side of the Sea of Galilee, the area of Decapolis and all of that, uh, there is a mixed population. But they're still predominantly Jewish people. These are Jewish people over here living under the law of Moses. That's where they are. And according to the law of Moses, they are not supposed to eat pork. They're not supposed to have pigs. They're not supposed to touch them or be around them. And their entire economy is built on pig farming. Does that help you understand why Jesus was willing when the, when the devil said, can we go into the pigs? He said, sure. Go right ahead. Why? Well, because they weren't supposed to have them anyway. The pigs were a sign of their open rebellion against God right there in the whole area. Jesus said, go right ahead. Go to the pigs. They went to the pigs, destroyed the pigs. Two problems solved just like that. Amen. And these people came and they said, go away, leave. Why? Well, because Jesus messed with their lifestyle. Their lifestyle just got messed up. I've learned that a lot of people don't want to go to hell. But not a lot of people want Jesus to mess with their lifestyle. They don't want Jesus to affect how they live and where they go and what they do. And I mean, come on, that's my livelihood. Uh, surely it's okay. Well, not if it's in violation of the Word of God. Nine times out of ten, they'll go with their livelihood over what the Word of God says. We were in Newport, Tennessee last fall. And that's in the Smoky Mountains and Pigeon Forge is right there and Gatlinburg is right there and it's all, all there together. And the big thing now, the big thing, is moonshine. That part of Tennessee, you know, they they've legalized small batch moonshine, and everybody makes moonshine, and the big billboards everywhere: moonshine, 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 moonshine. At the restaurant, moonshine. At the gift shop, you can buy in these little bitty jars so you can pretend you're a little old guy on a still out in the mountains there, and all different flavors: uh, moonshine candy, moonshine syrup, moonshine chocolate, moonshine pancake. I mean, moonshine, everything. It's the big tourist draw, moonshine. So if you're a Christian tourist shop owner. All the tourists want moonshine. What do you do? Well, I'll tell you what some of them do. Sell moonshine. Oh they would never drink it. No they wouldn't do that. They just sell it to the tourists because the tourists like it. Problem is. God, God says now this is not me making this up. This one's in black and white in the Bible. He said, don't give it to somebody. Not only don't look at it and don't drink it, don't give it to somebody else. Oh, oh. But, but it's part of my income. Well, do you suppose if you just honored God, right. he might fill in that part of your income some other way? Maybe he would. Or the, or the Christian restaurant owner who decides to start selling alcohol because that's what restaurants have to do. It's a huge profit margin for alcohol and, and he would never drink it. Oh, no. Just give it to other people. It's the same thing they're doing here. Oh, these Jews probably would have said, we don't eat that. Oh, we don't eat pork. That would be unclean. And, and, and we don't do that. We just raise it because the Romans like pork and we sell it to them. And it's very profitable. Except that God said, don't have it and don't be around it. And You see, here's, here's what Matthew Henry said. Being loath to quit either their sins or the swine. They chose rather to abandon the Savior. They don't want to give up sin. They don't want to give up their pigs. They want to live in rebellion against God with no consequences. So they said, Jesus, go away. That's the same thing people do today. They want to live in rebellion against God with no consequences. And as soon as they find out that God is opposed to their lifestyle, they're not interested anymore. Well, they don't want to go to hell. They just want their lifestyle messed with. They told Jesus to go away because he reminded them of their sin. Because he threatened their lifestyle. And thirdly, because he forced a decision. You see, by his very presence there, they have to make a decision. Are we going to continue our life the way it's always been? Or are we going to listen to what this guy has to say? This guy who obviously has the solution for our problems... Are we going to listen to him or are we not? And you know what they chose to do? They chose to forego the decision. We don't want to decide. Just go away. We, we don't want to think about it. We don't want to talk about it. Just go away. And that's the same thing people do today. They come, they hear the gospel. Somebody gives them a tract. Somebody witnesses to them. They hear that they're sinners lost and going to hell. And quite often what they'll say is, I don't want to think about that right now. Check with me later. I'm going, to, I'm going to ponder that, and, and they tell Jesus to go away because they don't want to have to make a decision. They don't want to openly reject him. That would be awful. But they don't want to accept him either, so they just say, go away. The problem is, by not deciding, you've already decided. You've already decided. And the danger of telling, listen close to what I'm about to say, the danger of telling Jesus to go away He'll probably go away. He did here. He got in the boat and left. That's what he did. They told him to go away, and he did. He didn't argue with them. He didn't ask them questions. He got in the boat, went back to the other side. I said, don't think you could tell Jesus to go away today and everything will be all right tomorrow. I've talked to people. Oh, oh, yeah, I know. I know I should get saved. And, and I grew up in church and I know, I know what it means to be saved. And I, I even know how to get saved. And I'm just, I'm not ready yet. Someday, someday, preacher, before I die, I'm going to get right with God. I'm going to straighten it all out someday before I die. Well, bless your heart. That's wonderful. Now, I'll I tell you, what, I'll make a deal with you. You tell us what day you're going to die. Give us the day. Tell us today. I don't care how far in advance it is. It could be 25 years from now. Give us the day. And if you can give us the time, that'd be helpful as well. But at least the day. And if you give us the date, would it be all right if we put it on the church calendar? So that it'll pop back up 25 years from now. We'll know old Fred's about to die. And, and he's going to die on Tuesday. You know what'll happen on Monday? He will come to your house on Monday. Open Bible. Say, so here's your chance now. You're dying tomorrow. You want to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior or not? Does that sound like a pretty good deal to you? If it does, you're not very bright. Because you don't know what day that's going to be. It could be 25 years from now. So, well, well, I know how long it's going to be for me because I have this disease and I talked to the doctor and he said I have four years. He doesn't have a clue how long you have. That's the average. Normally, you might have two and you might have five. He does not know. Only God knows. And if you're depending on that and setting your dates by that, you're going to make some terrible mistakes. It could be today. The thing you're diagnosed with might not even be what gets you. Isn't that shocking? You, you, might, you might pull out on this road today and somebody high on something come barreling through there and smash into your car and you'd be off in eternity just like that no second chance for the preacher to come to your house no no time to think about it and maybe do it tonight or easter sunday or no just like that boom we see all the time as we travel and we're in different places every week of the year and as we travel around the country we see some really horrific accidents we do we see them on the side of the highway and we see stuff and sometimes we're right up on it and you see you know the ambulances are there and and they're taken away, bodies all wrapped up. And I promise you, none of those people thought they were going into eternity that afternoon. None of them. They just didn't. You don't know. That's why tomorrow is not the day of salvation. Today is. Because God gave you a today. You don't know if you'll have it tomorrow. Don't tell Jesus to go away today thinking you'll deal with it next week or next month. You might not have a next week or a next month. You see, they didn't want to make a decision. And so they said, just go away and we'll deal with it some other time. The problem is John chapter 3 verse 18 says this. He that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. You don't have to openly reject Jesus. All you have to do is not believe on him and trust him as your Savior. And you're already condemned. You walk away condemned. You may think you're putting something off by not choosing, but not choosing is choosing, and it is rejecting Jesus Christ. It's sad when somebody tells Jesus to go away. Can you imagine? Uh, it's, It's one thing to tell the preacher to get off your porch. It's another thing to have the Son of God standing on your shore, and you go up to Him and say, go away. I mean, He's got the answer for your problems. And they tell Him to go away. Lost people do that all the time. You know what's really sad? Saved people do it too. Oh, they don't want to die and go to hell and and they like the fact that Jesus has saved them from their sins and one day they're going to make it to heaven but they don't want Him messing around in their life. Don't tell me how to live and how to act and how to, don't do that. Can I tell you a little secret? He wants to mess around in your life. He does he wants to be part of your life and he wants to be involved in every part of it and any part of it where you tell him to stay out you're going to mess that part up you're going to mess it up bad and you're going to wish you had him in there listen whether you're lost or saved today the best thing you can do is not tell Jesus to go away it's tell Jesus to come Either to come and be your savior or come and take over that part of your life you thought you had control of. Don't tell him to go away because these people tell him to go away. And he gets in the boat and he leaves. He goes. And the man, that, the man that's life was changed, he wants to go with him. He does. He wants to go. And Jesus said, you can't come. You got to stay here. As a matter of fact, I got a job for you. You're going to stay here. I want you to go home and tell everybody what God did here today. And you know what the Bible says? That he published it throughout Decapolis. He didn't just go home, he went everywhere. He went everywhere and told everybody. I just imagine him going home to that family that he's completely alienated from that's had to try to live without him for all these years and scrape by and he shows up at the door and he's got clothes on and his face is washed and they have a wonderful reunion and he gets his wife and his kids and says, let's go tell some other people what happened and they go down the street and they start talking to people and every place they go, people say, aren't you that guy? And he says, yeah, I, I was that guy. I, I just met Jesus yesterday, and, and he t- changed my life. I mean, he cast the devils out. You need you need to know Jesus. I promise you, when you get to heaven someday, there's going to be some people from Decapolis who are there because this guy came through their town and said, "You need to you need to go meet Jesus," and they made it their business to go find Jesus and to follow him. And you know what else you're going to find? There's going to be some people right from that little town who are in hell. They've been there for a long time and they got a long time left. Because when Jesus was standing right in front of them, they said, go away. And that was their last shot. They didn't get another shot the next day. They went back to pig herding. And living in rebellion against God I promise you oh there might be a bunch of people from the area of Decapolis in heaven but there's going to be a whole bunch from that little town in hell because they told him to go don't tell him to go away don't do that instead invite him in let's stand together and pray Heavenly Father thank you that we can be here this morning Lord thank you that you saw fit to give us this story in your word of that day when you went all the way across the sea seemingly just to talk to that one man who was willing to listen and you changed his life Lord there are probably some people standing here right now who could say I was that guy once I was that guy until somebody introduced me to Jesus changed everything Lord, maybe there's somebody here today who's never trusted Christ as Savior. God, if that's the case, I pray they would not leave that way. I pray they would understand the only solution for their sin problem is the blood of Jesus Christ. The only solution. It's the only one there ever will be. God, I pray that today might indeed be the day of salvation. Lord, for each and every saved person, I pray that you'd forgive us for being so foolish as to try to keep you out of areas of our life. And today, Lord, just make us wise enough to invite you into every area. And we'll thank you for all that you do. In Jesus' name, amen.